You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome everyone to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive beatniks and creative renegades, big old introverts who are interested in figuring out a way to live their best lives, <clears throat> their biggest lives, without sacrificing their sanity or their contentment or their sleep <laughs> in the process of that. I'm Leah Burkhart, a wellness coach, a health educator, and just a... Uh, well, nerd, capital N. And I'm here to talk about, of all things, well, sort of at least, uh, the coronavirus. I know everyone's really getting saturated with information regarding the virus. So I'm, I'm trying to come at this, well, first of all, uh, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know it's been a while since I've last updated or uploaded anything. A big chunk of the reason for that has simply been because of my trying to sort of rechannel a lot of my energy in my coaching practice, uh, building online programs, things like that. And so I thought, well, maybe dialing it back to uh, every couple of weeks would be fine. And then, of course, this coronavirus hit. And then as a health educator at the hospital, that sort of changed some things around. And I still didn't put out a podcast because everyone and their mother was putting out a podcast around the coronavirus. And so I just thought, oh, let's take a breath. Uh, and I also noticed, at least for myself, that my system was sort of on, was way too activated to produce anything that would have added value. I think it would have just been more static and more noise. So here's what I'm hoping to do in today's podcast. First, I, I still, I'm sure most of you who are listening to this know way more than you ever really wanted to about the virus. But just in case, I will go through some very basic information regarding the virus, uh, regarding what kind of virus it is, what its properties are. Um, I'll also talk a little bit about why people are so fearful about it. I mean, about the virus specifically. Uh, I do have a background in politics and in economics, so I can speak a little bit to what's going on in the economy. And I will sort of go through, okay, so why are we so afraid? Why are the measures that we're taking so extreme given the symptoms of the virus? And that it's, you know, is it just like the flu? Aren't the numbers smaller than the flu? What's going on? So if there is any confusion about that, I will, I'm hoping to improve upon that fact. And then uh, I'll also be talking about, because really, sort of as a map to be looking at this issue, what I'm seeing is it, it's sort of like playing chess, but with two opponents instead of just one. So it's three-way chess. It's hard enough to try and plot out five, ten moves in advance when you have a single opponent. But now with two, trying to plot out what to do next is all the more difficult. It's not impossible, but it's very, very challenging. And the two contenders or the two competitors or opponents that, if you will, that we're having to play chess with, one of them is the virus itself. The other is fear, panic, um, you know, the economy that, you know, it's like how we're responding. It's, it's sort of, so basically one way to put it, to look at this is one is biological. The other is psychological. And when I say the word psychological, I'm including the economy in that because economics, when you really get down to it, is, I don't know, 40% math and 60% psychology. And maybe those numbers are even, should be more, <laughs> maybe it's even more psychology than that. I don't know. But uh, so I'll talk a little bit about the challenges that we're facing and why it is that, and that leads me to the third part that I want to spend perhaps a little bit more time on. Uh, what I'm seeing personally, as well as publicly, is this fog starting to just cast over people. And I would say it's like depression, but I don't know if depression would be the correct word for it. It's more like overwhelm. I'm seeing people with classic symptoms of really severe decision fatigue. 
I'm seeing people just feeling paralyzed. And it's not paralyzed by outright fear. It's more, you know, because being paralyzed from acute fear would probably look like, oh, there's an alien invasion and then someone's holding a gun to my head. Or, you know, the zombie apocalypse is here. What I'm seeing, though, is the impact that comes when people are being asked to stay just outside of their window of optimal stimulation, but to stay in that space far longer than the system is intended to stay there. So it's not that we are all getting inundated with overwhelming decisions to make all at one time. We're not in the middle of a war in the classic sense of that word. What I'm seeing more of is this, it's like, it's more like, okay, so if, if I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to use numbers or, or visuals to give you an idea of this. Let's say that your optimal window of stimulation is like between 30 and below 30, like if it's zero to 100 and below 30 is boredom, depression, you know, ennui, <laughs> and then maybe on the upper window of that or the upper ceiling of like optimal stimulation is maybe, I don't know, 70. And above 70 is anxiety, it's overwhelm, it's it's feeling like um, your stimulation, your, your nervous system is getting tapped. I don't think we're being asked to pump out decisions at 90 and above. I think though we're all in the, the 75 to 85 range and we've been asked to stay there or not necessarily asked, but we're, we're in a position where we feel like we need to stay at that level of vigilance day after day after day. And I'm starting to see the real side effects, the, the real consequence of that. And I'm seeing it in the people that I work with. I'm seeing it in the people that I, you know, my colleagues, I'm seeing it all over really. And I'm also feeling it myself. And so I do want to spend a good chunk of the time talking about, okay, so yeah, all these big forces are at play. What can I do? What, what how can I be a part of the solution? If not for all of my community, at least for my household, at least for myself. So that's where I want to spend a good good chunk of the time on today's podcast. So to begin with, though, if there is any confusion about the virus itself, I do think it's still valuable to give just a really brief overview. A lot of people are calling this the coronavirus. It's not the coronavirus. It is a coronavirus. So there are multiple types of coronavirus. As I understand it, the virus is named Corona, like this family of viruses, is Corona uh, because of the word crown, uh, the the root word crown. So evidently the virus itself has a crown-like appearance, and so that's where it gets its name of coronavirus. Other examples of this, uh, many strains of the common cold are forms of coronaviruses, or at least the corona, like, there are many strings of coronaviruses that cause the symptoms we understand to be the common cold. That's actually part of the reason why developing like an antivirus or a, a vaccine for the common cold is so hard. There's actually a number of different viruses that contribute to what we ultimately end up seeing as a cold. So SARS was another example of a coronavirus, just to give you sort of a... And anyway, but this is being called a novel coronavirus. So it's new. Woohoo! Don't we all love novelty? And the specific strain of it, that we're, that's why they're also calling it COVID-19. Which, I don't know about you, but when I heard that name, it's like, that sounds way worse. <laughs> so, alright. So here's this virus, and it's spreading. Um, doesn't Isn't it just like the flu? That's the first thing that comes up. And I'm pretty sure by now, everybody and their mother has made it clear, no, it is not a strain of the flu. But just in case, no, <laughs> it's not influenza. So coronavirus and influenza, different beasts. However, what I will say in terms of likening one to the other, the reason people are doing that is being, you know, given that they are both, in fact, viruses, there are some similarities in terms of how we approach this thing. Uh, There, of course, is no reason or means or there's no cure for a virus. We can have vaccines and there are antivirals that help fight it and keep it from spreading faster within the system. 
So those things are in existence. We don't have either of those for this one. We do have all of those features for, well, I don't know if I, we have antivirus for flu, but we do have vaccines for it. So the reason they're being compared to one another is because what they both have in common is neither of them are is a bacterial infection. And that means that antibiotics won't work. They won't, won't touch this thing. In a similar vein, it spreads very quickly. It seems to spread in a comparable way to the flu. And according to what I'm reading, and things are changing on a almost every half day, it's starting to slow down a little bit. And, you know, and trying to sift through all of the noise is, can be extremely challenging. One thing that makes this virus unique, or at least distinct from, say, influenza or what we've also known as the common cold, it, unlike with the flu or with the common cold, the flu and the common cold typically don't, that we don't become contagious until maybe a, a day or two before symptoms have started, and we're most contagious during the time when we're, we have symptoms. That's part of why it's a lot easier to contain. Once someone is sick, they stay home, because that's what we are used to doing. What appears to be the case with this, though, I could get exposed to this thing, and then I may have as long as two weeks before I develop symptoms. And according to what I'm seeing, we appear to be shedding the virus upwards of maybe even a week before symptoms begin. So that's the first thing. It's much easier to spread, not because there's all these cavalier idiots who are moving around in the world going, I don't care. <coughs> it's fine. I'll just, I'll just keep going to work. It's, it's not like that. It's more that people are navigating and walking around and they have absolutely no idea that they're, that they're, they've been exposed to and are shedding the virus themselves. Now, the next thing that I'm hearing, well, a lot of people are recovering from this thing. Or are they? Italy's going crazy. What's going on? Are people dying in droves? Okay. It's, this is another piece of the, like, where a lot of the fear is coming from regarding this virus. We don't really know what the denominator is. So anytime you're trying to get, like, pinned down, what is the fatality rate of this thing? In other words, what's the percentage of people who die once they've been exposed and then develop COVID-19? Like, what happens to these people? How many people are going to die? That's a very uh, important question to be asking. So the unfortunate thing is, especially in the United States, one of the things we did the most poorly was get tests out, enough tests, so that we could be aggressive in finding out how, how fast is this thing spreading? How many people are just, of those who have the thing, are just developing really mild symptoms and maybe don't even know that it was COVID-19? How many people are getting really, really sick? And how many people are dying? In order to answer those questions, you have to have a big denominator. You have to know, be able to test everybody. Based on the most, you know, most recently, what I've been able to glean, the best country, by that I mean the country that's been able to be the most aggressive in testing and getting the best denominator, you know, how many people are dying relative to those getting the, the disease itself, was South Korea. So South Korea, I, I don't know if the numbers have changed. It went from about 0.6% fatality. I think it got a bump. I, I saw another article that said 0.8. So somewhere between 0.6 and 0.8% fatality. So basically, when you're talking to, to people who specialize in pandemics or you know epidemics of this sort, they are sort of saying, well, this is bad, but humanity is going to survive. This isn't like this isn't something like they're not ringing doomsday bells in, in the sense that they're saying, oh, my God, we're all going to die. So that's the good news. 0.6 to 0.8 percent is less than a percent of the people who catch this thing are dying. So then that often, though, goes leads a lot of people to move to the other side of the spectrum and say, oh, well, that's not that many people, and most of them are the elderly. That sounds exactly like the flu. Why are we freaking out about this? Okay, well, to answer that question, it's not just the elderly who are dying, although that's most, it's mostly the elderly. Pause here. I'm sorry, but really? So just because it's the elderly, don't worry about it? That seems pretty insensitive which for us, 
HSPs is probably not going to fly. Okay, that was my little caveat. But the thing is, there are also perfectly healthy people getting this thing and who are getting pretty severe symptoms. Okay, well, what are the symptoms to be looking for? The primary symptoms are fever, a new cough. So one of the trickiest part of this thing is the fact that it's happening now is that this is also allergy season. <laughs> so it's like, oh, God. So if I'm sniffling and coughing, it could be because of grass and it could be because I have COVID-19. Awesome. So, but it has to be a new cough and it has to be a cough that's burdensome enough that you're really noticing it. It's, it's severe enough where you're like, whoa, this can't be just allergies and a fever. Keep in mind, allergies don't create a fever. The immune system doesn't respond in that way to allergies. Uh, and most people start with a sore throat and then it becomes a cough, but it's the ultimate one is uh, respiratory distress. So you're having trouble breathing. And I don't want to give people the idea that now everyone's going to be unable to breathe. But there's difficulty, you know, much as you would if you had bronchitis, like the wheezing, the like there, there's an effort that you have to put forth into breathing. So that's what those are the primary symptoms that we're looking out for. So just in case you were wondering, how would I know if I had this thing? Those are the primary ones to look out for. Okay, so. Here's this virus. It's spreading. It kind of like those symptoms sound eerily familiar to a bad flu. So we don't respond this way to the flu. What's going on? Okay, in terms of numbers, that's not an incorrect approach because more people in terms of just the numbers of people die every year from the flu than have died so far from this virus. Unfortunately, what that often does to people is it shifts them from, oh my god, panic mode, all the way to, oh, well then who cares? And really where we should be is right smack dab in the middle. Because even though in terms of numbers overall, we still haven't reached the levels of the flu, when you're talking about as a percentage of those people who get it, 0.6 to 0.8% is about 6 to 8 times more severe than the flu. So the flu kills about 0.1% to 0.2% of people worldwide. So even though the numbers are bigger, more people get the flu. We also have, I don't know about thousands, but certainly hundreds of years of data regarding the flu. So we're pretty clear about the trajectory of your average influenza virus. Uh, I'm sure you know there certainly have been strains that have been more uh, aggressive than others. But for the most part, when someone gets the flu, we kind of know what we're in for. This is different because it's new. Again, it's novel coronavirus. So that just gives you an idea of why there's so much sort of like, why there's more panic, why there's more people on edge. It's easier to spread. It's spreadable even when they're asymptomatic. We are asymptomatic for a longer period. So, I, you know, there's a longer period of time where we're spreading the thing and don't know we're spreading the thing. And once it has been spread... For healthy adults and healthy children, the symptoms will probably be pretty mild. It won't feel all that different from a cold or the flu. So that's the good news for people who are healthy. But if there's an immune compromised person, so let's say that my you know, little Timmy, who lives with me because he's my son, I don't actually have a son, but if I did, little Timmy went to school and he, because his, my kid got exposed to all these other humans and somewhere along the way he picked up the coronavirus, maybe he didn't get any symptoms or maybe they were just extremely mild. Okay, well, he comes home and grandma's visiting. Well, maybe everyone in the family gets the same sort of like, oh, this is this is uncomfortable. But depending on where people fall in the gradation of their immune system, maybe his Timmy's parents gets a much more severe reaction to this thing than Timmy did. And maybe Timmy's grandma, or I guess I should say grandpa, because it does seem to be attacking men or men seem to be getting more severe uh, symptoms than women. Sorry, boys. So this is just to give you an idea. Okay, whoa, what what's going on? Okay, that's what's happening. So as an individual, you as just you yourself, if you're in panic mode right now, because of this thing, I do want you to take a breath. In all likelihood, you might not get it. And even if you do, you have a 99.4 to 99, wait a minute, nine, yeah, 99.4 to, 
99.2 to 99.4% likelihood that you will recover. Those are good odds, just so you're aware. So as an individual, okay, don't, what you shouldn't be panicking about is the sense that, oh my God, oh my God, am I going to die? That's not going to be helpful to you. It's probably not going to be helpful to your immune system, by the way. The reason why people are, especially leadership, is getting really upset, is getting really uh, agitated, anxious, panicked, is because the way this thing is spreading, it could happen, and this is what you're seeing in Italy. It's what you're seeing in China, in in, in some areas of China. Everyone's getting sick at the same time. So this is what everyone's afraid of. What if everybody gets sick Everyone's sicker than they're used to being. Everyone needs medical attention, and it happens all at once. Hospitals in the United States of America do not have capacity to treat everyone who could conceivably catch this thing. So that's why when you look at Italy, Italy's losing its mind. It's losing, like, it's going, there's chaos. It's because everyone got it at once, and the hospitals that are in place don't have capacity. So you're seeing all kinds of... Well, like you're seeing panicked people, but basically you've got people who are sick and broke. Like they don't know, they can't go to the hospital. The hospital can't take them, can't take them to treat them. And I shouldn't say treat because we don't have a treatment for this thing, but they can't be cared for. That's the better language to use because they're just getting inundated. So that gives you an idea of why everyone here, at least in terms of the leadership, are just looking at it going, oh, because at first, and I'm, this is not intended to be a Trump bash. I, I don't think I've made any secret that I don't like him. I'm not inviting him over for Thanksgiving dinner. I don't think he responded well to this event. I don't know how anyone else in the same position would have responded. So I'm not going to go there. What I will say are the facts. In his initial read, whether it was because his advisors were advising him it wasn't a big deal, or he was looking at the information and didn't have a good understanding of how public health works, I don't know. But he did not respond efficiently. I shouldn't even just say he. The federal government of the United States of America did not respond with vigilance. They, we, they took it sort of as a blasé, like, nah, it doesn't seem like a big deal. They're making a big fuss out of nothing. And it wasn't until they started seeing the chaos it wreaked in Italy that they went, oh, oh, maybe we should look more seriously into this. And then on top of that, we started seeing cases in the United States escalate. The combination of those two factors led the U.S. government to say, okay, maybe we should take this thing a bit more seriously. And they did. And they are. That in and of itself could be its own podcast episode. If that was the only thing that was going on, that would be, I mean, it would be unfortunate and it would be burdensome, but it would be clear. What is it that we should be doing as individuals and in our communities and in terms of, like, what can we be doing? The answer would be stay home if you can, work from home if you can, self-isolate, don't go and hang out in big crowds, um, don't go out to big parties. I mean, it's just contain this thing. That brings me, by the way, to the, the concept of flattening the curve. What does that mean? A lot of people are asking. The what I what people are telling me they think it means is, oh yeah, of course, we just want to get fewer people to get this thing. Like we don't we want to stop people from catching it. It's not actually what flattening the curve means. And that's not actually the goal that most people have at this point in the game. Because this thing is so contagious, there's not a lot of specialists who are saying, let's just keep everybody from getting it. What flattening the curve means is, let's say you're sure 100 cases are going to happen. Like you've done the math and you're a public health expert and you're just like, man, the way this thing works, there is no way. I can guarantee you... 500 people are going to get this thing. I'm just using a random number. Flattening the curve means does it doesn't matter what we're going to do, we'll probably end up seeing 500 cases. However, what can we do to assure that we don't see all 500 in one week in March? Because that would just overwhelm our system. We would not be able to handle it. We wouldn't be able to care for these folks. So flattening the curve means... Let's not make it so that we get it 500 cases in a week. Let's spread it out. Let's see if we can get it so that we only have 50 cases this week, 50 cases a week from then, 50, 50, 50 so that it's spread out, of course, across several months. 
If that's done, a couple of things happen. Number one, hospitals have the bandwidth and have the resources to take care of not only those who have COVID-19, but other people who need care for whatever other reasons there might be a need, like a kid who breaks his arm because he was roughhousing with his friends, or someone who gets any other kind of infection or condition. Hospitals still have resources to take care of its community. Even as COVID-19 cases trickle in, COVID-19 isn't fun to get, but now you're dealing, like, you'd much rather have COVID-19 when you have a hospital with space to accommodate you than getting COVID-19 when there's 500 other people who also have COVID-19. So that's flattening the curve. It's okay, let's spread it out. The other benefit to spreading it out is it increases the chances that by the time you get this thing, there's treatments that will be available. Maybe not cures, because that's not how viruses work but antivirals and or vaccines. So that, again, you're keeping it so that we can sustain this level. It's basically budgeting, ba- it's budgeting biology as what we're doing. So that's what flattening the curve means. It's why we're trying so hard to do exactly that. In the closing of the schools, it's not that we're terrified for the lives of the children. Um, and I don't say that to in a, from a cavalier space where it's like, we don't care about your kids. What we're, what we're seeing, though, are people saying, wherever people congregate in large numbers, let's squash it. Because every time you distance yourself from other humans, you're creating an, you're interrupting the spread of the infection. So that's why that, that would make it clear. That's chess playing against a virus. I, I, can't, I might not win at this thing, but I can kind of map out some pretty good strategies to determine, okay, this is how I can, this is the best way I can navigate moving forward. Now, unfortunately, there's another opponent that we've heard that we have to contend with and that we're also playing a game of chess with at exactly the same time and on exactly the same board. And that's, I'm going to call it fear. I'm going to call it panic. Um, so it's the psychology, the, instead of the biological opponent we're dealing with, there's the psychological. There are lots of people who are not handling this very well and whenever you're dealing with a crisis like this and it is a crisis uh, danger plus opportunity it is a crisis to there is no doubt well now you have this other issue okay so if you tell everyone to self-isolate what are they also not doing they're not going to restaurants they're not going shopping i mean maybe they're buying online or ordering doordash but probably not or at least not as often and if you say that to an entire economy we no longer have a stock market that we're, where a bunch of people are, you know, furiously punching away and trying to get information out and trying to buy and sell. We're now working with a system that's predominantly ruled by computers and algorithms. And so, and we're talking like there are micro financial decisions that get made by the computers that are monitoring these things. So it can be the case that a buzzword goes out and that buzzword that key word triggers a set of responses in all of these little, you know, and I'm not trying to, this isn't an iRobot podcast episode where I'm saying, oh, it's the machines. <laughs> I'm also not trying to cause panic in that area, but it's just the way that the systems are set up. Everything happens really, really fast. So it's not like you're just dealing with a bunch of humans who are just losing their marbles. Part of it is because this is how the machines are set up. This is how the, the software, I guess would be a better way of putting it, is set up. So that's one thing that could affect the markets. And the markets are not just showing the value of what's of the market right now. Markets are also showing the value of what they of future prospects. So it's like projections of the future. So what you see in the stock market now is a combination of what its current value is in addition to what its future projected value will be. And that somehow, and I don't know what the algorithm is that they use for that, but that helps to deter, that basically is the signifier. Some combination, some equation they use of those two things is what leads to what we see in the stock market going up and down and over and out. And Sorry, Frank Sinatra came out just there. So that is now a challenge. And economics is not just about math, it's also about perception. So human beings are now seeing, okay, there's a virus, there's the economy that we need to contend with, 
and then they're losing their marbles because, oh, wait, what if we're told that we're under house arrest? What if something horrible happens? And then you end up with one guy or one girl who goes to the store and buys 500 rolls of toilet paper. And all it takes is one person to do that. And then three people next to them to go, oh, maybe they know something I don't. We should probably do the same thing. I'm laughing about it. Perhaps I shouldn't. But I mean, toilet paper, really? So that is the other virus we're dealing with. We're dealing with the biological virus as well as the psychological virus. And you're seeing it. It's blasted all over social media. It's blasted all over the news. It's all anyone can talk about. It's what I'm talking about right now. So that's a completely different beast to have to be contending with when you're talking about, again, three-way chess. So you can imagine and you can understand, therefore, why people are in this predicament where they're feeling really overwhelmed because... If it were just about the economy, if it were just about fear on its own, that basically is 2008. And that was really challenging. It's really unfortunate. People had to make some really, really tough decisions. But they made them. And there was strategy involved. It was a game of chess. It's okay, so now I make this move and then this move and then that will probably happen over here and then this will happen over there. But making all of those strategic moves while also contending with a biological virus, they're completely two, they're two utterly different imperatives. One is shut down, stay indoors, don't go out. The other is no, 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 spend money, go out, go do stuff because the economy needs you. It's understandable in this situation why everyone would be sort of paralyzed. And that brings me to the good chunk of what I want to be talking about right now. And that's, okay, so the economy is unstable. It just is. It, 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 of course it is. There's just so much uncertainty. The economy would have to be unstable. If it weren't, somebody's lying. And the Fed is doing everything they can by lowering interest rates, which in my mind is absolutely absurd because the problem isn't, like, if this keeps going, the problem won't be demand. It's not that people don't want to buy things. It's supply. We can't go buy things. And there's no one there to provide the service because why would you provide a service for, I don't know. Anyway, it's, uh, it's, it was very interesting to me when on Monday they decided, oh, let's lower the interest rates to zero. It's like, oh, God, you shot your last bullet this soon? No. <laughs> but maybe they know, I'm sure they know way more information than I do. So the fact is they're trying. They're doing everything they can. And there should be some amount of comfort that comes from that, knowing that the government has every incentive, especially Trump. Now, for as much as I despise Trump, and I do, full disclosure, I mean, there's something to be said for a greedy man who's hanging out in the Oval Office. So if you're worried about economics, you can be assured he has every incentive in the world to keep the economy afloat as you know, as robustly as he possibly can, if for his own sake, uh, even if not for the country overall. There is something to be said for that. So if you're looking to Trump, here's what I will say. Go ahead and listen to him when he's talking about the economy. Don't listen to anything he says regarding this virus, because in terms of what I've been hearing from him, he is so behind the ball on the, the virus stuff. I don't care how many times he says, I'm so smart, I know so much, the doctors think I'm super genius. Don't care. Don't listen to him with regard to the virus. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, if you want good resources, going to a politician of any kind. I mean, I, I, I don't care if it was a Democrat or a Republican who was in the Oval Office. I probably wouldn't listen to either one of them regarding the virus because they're not public health specialists really good resources to be tapping into right now. Your local government, so wherever you happen to live, in my case it's Oregon, so the Oregon Health Authority is a great resource to be sort of tracking the numbers, seeing what the local policy measures are. If you live in California, go to California, you know, so on and so forth. So your local government is going to be a fantastic resource for you. If you're looking to just track it on a more global scale, I would say the best resource I've seen so far is Johns Hopkins. They've got tons of resources. It's the most up-to-date that I'm seeing. Something you should keep in mind if you're looking at the if you're looking at the numbers and you see that there's a discrepancy. Like to give an example, the Oregon Health Authority's number was smaller than Johns Hopkins. That's not because the Oregon Health Authority was behind or they don't have the technology or they're trying to be secretive and keep the lower the numbers lower. 
there are different numbers that different resources might be tracking. So there's uh, confirmed cases. And confirmed cases include, like, the... I don't want to just say pending, but like cases where they have the symptoms and it's like, yeah, we're pretty sure this thing is, but we just don't have the test back yet. So just confirmed cases includes that number. Some states are not including the, the, the word isn't pending. It's like it's a different number. Presumptive. They're not including presumptive cases. They're only including active cases. So active means they have the symptoms, they've been tested, and they were tested positive. And then the next one is uh, deaths. So you're looking at each of these. So Johns Hopkins, its number, that final number, that in terms of like the total confirmed, is including presumptive. Oregon Health Authority deliberately chose not to include presumptive. They're only including active. So just to give you an idea, if you're seeing discrepancies, don't panic. It's probably, it's not the case that there's maybe one government who's telling the truth and the other that isn't or that no one knows what they're talking about. I mean, that might be the case. I don't really, I can't know for sure. But that's not what seems to be happening here. When you look at the numbers, they do add up and they are consistent. It's just that different spaces might be tracking different things. So Johns Hopkins is a phenomenal resource. Your local government is a great resource to get an idea of policy measures that are going and whether schools are closing and things like that. Uh, I've also been listening to podcasts and the ones that I've found to be most helpful, uh, Sam Harris brought on a he's had two or three podcasts on this subject and I think and he ordinarily has a paywall for a lot of his full podcast episodes but for anything regarding the pandemic he's just been opening it up to the public so I highly recommend he's he does a fabulous job of being sober of being real of being honest and giving information that he has when he has it without inciting panic. And he even said in his most recent episode, it's like, okay, I mean, the time for panic is gone. We're done. We're done now. Now we know what to do. So now it's just about doing it. So really appreciate him. And he's brought on a number of specialists that have spoken to the topic in a way that is candid, that is real, that is honest, um, that promotes vigilance in its listeners without inciting panic. So I think they've done a really nice job of keeping that balance. And again, Johns Hopkins, local government. Okay, really, truly, now I'm moving on. So now I'm into the space of, here we all are. We've been inundated with information regarding the virus, and we are feeling overwhelmed, um, tapped out. There's a kind of, we've been, I don't want to say force. That's a really hard language to use. It's like we've been asked to sustain a level of vigilance that the human body isn't designed to sustain. And what's hard about it is it's not acute. It's not something that's happening right now. So it's not like we're in the middle of a war, people are shooting at us. It's just above the threshold that's comfortable, which is why I think it can be really disorienting because it at no point, like if we were in the middle of a war and feeling overwhelmed, that would just make sense. But that's not what's really happening. And so what I'm seeing scattered all across are um, this experience, and it seems to come in waves. So just to give you an example, I was fine. It's like, I'm fine. Uh, I, I definitely had my moments of skepticism regarding this thing going, God, I mean, does someone know something we don't? Why are people panicking about this? I mean, it's not good, but whoa. And then as the numbers were rolling in from Italy, it's like, oh, okay, now I understand. We're worried about a system getting overrun. Got it. All right. And I was still, it's like, it's fine. We'll just stay in. A friend of mine came to visit me. He drove, didn't fly. What? Just in case you're curious. Um, we were, we had all these plans and we decided, now let's just bunker in. Let's go to the store, buy some things. And then we go to the store and we're seeing like empty shelves, which initially was a little bit of a whoa. But even then, it was like, well, this is fine. There's still food. And most of the things that are empty, we weren't shopping for. Pasta and toilet paper, apparently, were the things. That's weird. So it was fascinating. It was still in the place of, like, this is absolutely fascinating. Like, whoa, this is incredible. Wow, okay. But we're all right. We're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. And I think for me, when I started to just get slammed was Monday, 
when the Fed had lowered its interest rates down to near zero and, and you're looking at the economy tanking. And just to give you some background, I'm also in the middle of buying a house of all things because uh, the interest rate had gone down. This was before it had hit and hit um, crisis level. But it's like, wow, I'm, I had just happened to be looking and the interest rate happened to be pretty good. And so I happened to find the right place. And then I put in an offer. And so right in the middle of all of this stuff, I'm taking out money from some of my investments so that I can pay, put a down payment in for a house. So just so that you're aware, that's part of where my sort of like, you're gotta be kidding me was coming from. And what I felt wasn't panic exactly. It was sadness. It was this heaviness. It was this sense of, um, I almost want to say diet hopelessness. So it wasn't full-blown hopeless, but it was a sense of, whoa. Because, and this is for me, and I imagine different people are responding in in different ways. We're all unique. I tend, I, I was looking around and I wanted to see where there was real good leadership that was stepping up to the plate and saying, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. We got this. And I really didn't feel like we had that. And again, this is not to bash Trump himself. I've made no secret of the fact that I'm not crazy about him, but that's this isn't a time to point fingers. But I did hope that in the vacuum of, you know, you know, in the space that when you have narcissistic leadership, it creates a real true like authentic leadership vacuum. And I thought maybe someone would fill that up. I thought someone would step up to the plate. And I just didn't feel like I was seeing that. I thought, wow, that's really sad. Like, I don't feel like there's anyone I can look to as a beacon and think, okay, this isn't great, but these folks care. They're, they're paying attention. I didn't feel like I was getting that. And then on top of that, you, you turn on the, like, you look to the economy and it's like, oh, man. And then forget about the, the larger economy. Think about the local economy. Like, I can't go out and celebrate. And then, okay, well, now I have to go home and self-isolate and, you know, be alone with my thoughts. And so this is where we're all at. And I'm really fortunate. I don't have a husband. I don't have any kind of spouse. I have no children. So self-isolation is pretty simple. It's not a whole lot different from what I'm used to. But I'm thinking about all these families that now their kids aren't going to school. So now they're worried about child care. How am I going to take care of my kids and also bring a paycheck home? How much PTO do I have? I mean, it just goes on and on. And this sadness settled. Like it was really heavy. And so what did I do in that day? Nothing. That is what I'm going to implore. So what I want to take some time and really dive into today is... If you're feeling this, whatever, it comes in waves. It's really common for this to be happening where it's like the system comes online. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then whew, the wave hits again. And if you're noticing this where you go through spells of it's okay, we've got this. And then all of a sudden you feel like, oh man, I just feel overwhelmed. I don't think we've got this. This is incredible. I don't know what to do. Congratulations, you're a human. This is normal. If the wave hits you and you've been flattened for a few days, it's totally normal. It's okay. What you're feeling is okay. And here's something, though, that I want to take some time to express. It's okay. And also, do not be making any big decisions when you're in that space. Anytime you notice yourself get into the space of overwhelm, into the space of, I don't know what to do, I feel hopeless, just that the, only, the best thing you can do in that moment is allow set up the space, allow the anxiety to come in, allow the anxiety to come back out. You can't control that right now. You can influence it, maybe, but mm, no. And I'll give you a sort of an example of, okay, so the day that I noticed myself just kind of go spiraling downward, what are the things that I did? Because I'm a health coach. That If there is one tiny little section of our lives that we have some influence around, it's our personal bodies and our personal health, wellness, mental state. Um, maybe we can go so far as to include our families. That's it. That's all we've got in times like this. So the good news, if you even want to call it that, is we are now, this is a prime opportunity to take care of yourself. It is now your patriotic and moral duty to take good care of yourself, to be kind to yourself. And I'll tell you why. The kinder you can be to yourself, the more robust your immune system. The kinder you can be to yourself, 
the better your decision-making processes are going to be. There's a great line that um, comes from the Yoga Sutra texts that says, you know, when you make whatever the consequences of your the, of the decisions that you make often will resemble the quality of the mental state that was in place when you made the choice. So whatever constant like there we're making decisions all day long. Whatever the quality of the mental state was that you were in when you made that choice, the consequence of that decision will resemble that quality. So when you make decisions from a place of panic, the consequence often looks like instability. It looks unstable. It doesn't have a robust uh, capacity to, uh, it doesn't often yield positive outcomes. It's, it might, but it'll be kind of a crapshoot. So when you're in a space where you know your system has been tapped, you know you're overwhelmed, you know you're overstimulated, this is especially true for highly sensitive people, the first thing I will tell you is don't make any big decisions at that time. Just stop. Breathe. Take it one step at a time. Do not log into your account, take all of your money out, do a bank run, run to the hot, like, no, 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 no. Not when you're in that space. So that's one thing that I allowed for myself all day on Monday. It was just, I just don't feel like I, I feel hopeless. And you know what? That's appropriate. Feeling hopeless when I'm exhausted and tapped out and emotionally spent. And I feel like my, my resources are like, I, this is an appropriate response. Like for a human system to have, to feel wiped out. That's fine. That just means everything is working the way it should. Okay. So now what are my options? <laughs> What's going to help me feel less bad? Well, the next thing I did was call my people. I called friends and said, hey, I'm feeling hopeless. Can we talk? And we talked. I called my mommy <laughs> because, well, who do you want to hear? Whose voice do you want to hear when you're in the midst of panic? So it's like reach out to people, not in person, but over the phone, you know, through Zoom chat. Connect with your people. That was the first thing that helped me. Um, the next thing that's incredibly helpful, move, fidget, but move in ways that are appropriate to the level of energy you have. So I'm not saying if you feel wiped out, you should go for a run, but maybe do some gentle yoga. Maybe you should just kind of pace a little bit, just loosen up the muscles so that you're not just, you know, like everything is tense. Anything to loosen your body up physically is going to be very, very helpful. Not because it's going to take you from hopeless to yippy skippy, but because it will just create a space. Once you've done that, the next phase is meditation, deep breathing, um, some wonderful resources regarding meditation. I've, uh, I, I'm again, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. So the Waking Up app is a wonderful one. He's got podcasts with a number, or not podcasts. He's got a number of recordings of conversations with many different types of meditators. Uh, it's really inspiring. And then it, much like, uh, and it has a series of meditations that you can follow. And, and day after day, you have a singular, it's a distinct meditation that you follow. It's really beautifully done. Uh, if you don't like that style, there's Headspace. That's really great for achievement-oriented people in particular because they've kind of gamified meditation. In terms of free resources, there is, uh, you know, you can even look up free meditations online and you'll get a number of different options. Radiant Heart is one that comes to mind where they've, you can just stream it from online. You can also simply set a timer for five minutes. And what I recommend is a breathing exercise. You can do, and here's a few options. One, breathe in. That's one. Breathe out. That's two. Breathe in is three. Breathe out is four. And do that up to 10. When you notice your thoughts come online, because they will, that's what your brain is supposed to do. Just start over. Like just notice the thought. Don't judge the thought. You're not doing it wrong. You're not meditating it poorly. That's meditation. It's just watching your thoughts. So as soon as you notice your thoughts interrupt, it's like, okay, just start over. All right, breathe in one. Breathe out two. So it's just giving your brain something to focus on. Set the timer for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you've got. 60 seconds if that's all you've got to work with. 
Another one, especially if it's more acute, is the consecutive breathing approach. So it's breathe in for four, hold for five, breathe out for six. And that number can change depending on your lung capacity. So it's like breathe in, one, two, three, four, hold, one, two, three, four, five, out, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, and again, if your lung capacity is greater, five, six, seven, six, seven, eight. The deal is you just want your exhale to be longer than your inhale because what that promotes is a parasympathetic response in your body. Parasympathetic just means the rest and digest response instead of the sympathetic, which is the fight or flight response. So these are just some activities that you can explore and play with, especially during those times when you feel overwhelmed because tunnel vision is a great thing when you're overwhelmed. Bring it down Get as much into the present moment as you possibly can. Okay, so once you've done that, what next? Well, it depends. Is your system regulated? Do you still feel overwhelmed? Then your job is just to take care of yourself. Treat yourself like you would treat a child who was overwhelmed and scared of the dark. Hold yourself. Hold the space for yourself. Rock yourself. You know, treat yourself with that level of compassion of like, sweetie, it's okay. I know, I know you're scared, but I'm here. Be here for yourself, whatever that means. Journal your thoughts. In terms of what can be really helpful with regard to journaling specifically, uh, journaling, okay, what's one thing that is good that happened to you today? And if you can't go into that headspace, that's also not a problem. Journal all of the things that you're scared of. And the spin that you can put on it is, what lessons could you possibly learn from this? In what ways will navigating this really treacherous domain make you a stronger person on the other side of it? Um, In what way can you show up in this moment? So basically it's, don't Pollyannify this, but make this into the heroic story. How can you be the hero in your own story? And this is, again, this is research that talks about how writing about your challenges, about your thoughts can be tremendously therapeutic but you do want to make sure that toward the end of that, you're, you're, how can you create meaning out of it? And then the final one, which everyone and their mother probably talks about, but um, gratitude. So taking a moment and writing down three things that you feel grateful for. As an example, just the other, you know, because I usually go grocery shopping every few days. I like fresh food and, you know, I don't mind. I like walking to the grocery store. It, it feels good. But in light of current events, it's like, well, probably is better if I'm not going out in public as often. So maybe it's better if I do larger, you know, weekly grocery runs instead. And I did. And of course, I did notice that the shelves were looking more barren. And that was a little bit nerve wracking. But there was still food. It wasn't all gone. There was still there were still options available. And so I got a week's supply of food. um, And I just... But I put it all away and I opened my refrigerator and saw a fully stocked refrigerator. And then I went into the cupboard and opened it up and saw a fully stocked cupboard. And it wasn't hoarder status. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> there's no, I don't have 40 rolls of toilet paper in my bathroom. But it was just this moment of like, wow, even in times of duress, we are so lucky. I am so lucky. All I had to do was hand someone a piece of plastic this arbitrary piece of plastic. And they said, okay, we trust you. They swiped it. And now I have groceries in my refrigerator. What? I mean, that's wild. And it was cold one of the days and I felt chilly. And so I got into the shower and I I took a nice hot shower and it loosened my muscles. And I thought, my God, we're in this space. Like how magical, how many people on this planet don't have hot water or running water? And not only do I have running water, but it's hot and it's steam. The steam is billowing. And so this is what I mean when I'm talking about gratitudes. I'm not talking about like, I'm grateful I don't have COVID-19 yet. Come on. (laughs) Dude, you can do better than that. You know, be really specific. I'm grateful that I got to sit on the couch with my puppy. Like, I love my dog. She's my sweetheart. And then when I went to sleep, I snuggled up with my cat. And even as I'm podcasting, my cat is sleeping in the sunshine and I'm staring at her. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about gratitude. Uh, and I've been keeping in touch with my family and, and and doing just much better about that. I have a tendency to burrow and be kind of a hermit. So I've been calling family members and friends and just touching base with them and making sure everyone's okay and they're making sure I'm okay. And, you know, times of duress like this don't feel good, but man, it really, 
is a fabulous reminder of how important our relationships are. So that brings me to that next piece, you know, reach out to someone you care about in whatever way that doesn't (laughs) increase your chances of catching a virus. So, you know, just, and I'm seeing people around me when, even when I go to the store, I'm seeing people be really kind and really gentle with each other. You know, I'm not seeing people panicking and punching each other in the face to get the last roll of toilet paper. I'm seeing people be really patient and try and make jokes and send memes and, you know, heartwarming things. So these are all things. I'm not just putting this out there to say, oh, well, can't do anything about it. May as well just write down what you're grateful for. It's much more of a, no, you can't do anything about it. Not in the larger scheme of things, but you can take care of yourself. You are morally and patriotically bound to do this because what are you doing when you take care of yourself you're you're getting out of the way so you yourself are less of a flight a risk for your community because you're not agitating you're not creating more panic you're not creating more mayhem you're you're contained you're regulated the more regulated your system is the better the decisions you'll be able to make which brings me into the next phase. Okay, so what about those? Because what I what I find with people is it's not like you just slammed and incapable of making choices for this long duration of time. It's more like waves. There's a, okay, I'm fine. I'm not fine. I'm fine. I'm not fine. So to the extent that you can to get your system regulated, once it is regulated, the next best thing that you can do is, okay, I'm in a good space right now. This is a good time to make some decisions. Let's look at our finances. What's the best way we can navigate this? Are we in a situation where we don't need to retire for another 30, 40 years? Maybe the best thing we can do right now is put more money into the economy. I mean, look what happened in 2008. This is a, I mean, we're going to, we could make a killing off of this. Maybe not. We don't really know. We can't know the future. This is a pretty hard, you know, heavy duty thing we're dealing with. But hey, if we have the luxury of time, this is a great time to take a risk. Or are you not in that space? Are you in the place of, I want to retire in the next year. I need to be really deliberate. Maybe I should take some of these, some of these out now. Like what, what, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not telling anyone what to do with their money to be very clear about this. But what I'm saying is wait to make whatever decisions you want to make around your finances for when one of the waves has, has dissolved. Wait for when you're feeling like you've got your feet on the ground. That's the time to make those decisions. That's the time to go, okay. Let's make some call. Like, what, what, what's one thing I can do for my future? For myself personally, when I was noticing myself go haywire and it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't even buy this house. Maybe I should keep that money for a store. Or maybe I should do that. Or maybe I should do this. I just didn't make any decisions. And I waited until the next, like, until my capacity came back online. I went out. I moved my body. I came back. I meditated. I sat with it. And it's like, okay, so let's be real. How much did I like the house? It's like, I love the house. And it's a great little house. And it would be exactly the same mortgage that I would, like the mortgage would be the same as the rent that I'm paying now. And the economy isn't great right now. So in some sense, that would mean it would be a bad idea. But in another sense, it's a good idea. Because houses, like at least my money is stored up in something I really, I'm going to need. I need a place to live regardless. So yeah. And then I looked at the stock market as it was, and it's like, well, ordinarily I would have waited until the very last minute to pull out any of my funds because I don't need it until May. And so what I did instead was like, okay, well, right now I still have enough to cover the down payment, so I'm going to take out the amount I need for the down payment. I'm going to do that now. And of course, you know, every alarm bell went off in the the phone. You're like, oh no, are are you okay? Please don't. Is it because of the economy? And I had to explain, no, it's not because of the economy. I'm I'm buying a house, so. I'm not saying to all of you guys, hey, go buy a house. But what I'm telling you is the quality of my decision making would have been very poor on Monday. So I didn't make any decisions. The quality of my mental state was much, much better on Tuesday. So I waited until Tuesday to make those decisions. And I know that sometimes it might feel like we don't have the luxury of time. But I I promise you, if you can wait, you probably do. And it's always better to wait until your mental space is online and firing at its best to make really big decisions. So there's that. The next thing I'll say when your brain comes back online, don't make too many. <laughs> so don't take advantage of it so much that you knock yourself back into overwhelm. I, that was the only thing I did that day. 
It's like, okay, I'm still feeling good about this house. So today I'm going to do make the decisions regarding my finances. I had them transferred over. So now it's coming into the, my checking account. There we have it. Boom, done. I'm not making any other decisions. The next day I thought, well, I currently still have a job and there doesn't seem to be any threat that I won't have one in the next month. But this is probably a good time to start applying for part-time gigs for part, you know, are there virtual positions that are available that people might be hiring for? I imagine, to be quite honest, there aren't many places, even those who were going to hire new people, most companies are probably going to be freezing their hiring at least for the next few weeks, if for no other reason than just because the managers are in the same spot you and I are. We're all overwhelmed. So I imagine a lot of managers are probably like, ugh, yeah, we might legitimately need more people, but give me a week. I'm so tired. So, you know, that's a thing. (laughs) That's real. However, at least it's one small thing I can do. I can apply to small, like to part-time gigs, to virtual jobs, to things that's like, I can, I can apply. I, it's not going to make or break, but I can do that one thing. And then that's all I did that day. I applied to a job. And then the next day, okay, I can put out a podcast today. I've got, I feel calm. I feel like I'm capable. I feel like I have enough information regarding what's happening, not only with regard to the virus, but with regard to the longer consequences of all of us on an individual basis. I can speak to the overwhelm and then sort of coming back online and then coming back offline and feeling like this is a lot of chaos and how to navigate it. I can speak to that. So that's one small thing I can do for my community. Maybe no one listens. Maybe everybody listens, but that's irrelevant to me. It's one small thing. This is the only big ticket item I'm going to do today. I'm going to go to work because I can. And and we've been really deliberate about um, spacing people out so that there aren't too many people coming in all at once. That's all gravy, baby. But I'm not doing any big ticket decision items. I'm not doing any big creative enterprises beyond this today. Now, I do want to tell all of you, if you've been able... Thank you, by the way, if we've got... We're into 60 minutes of this thing. Um, Tomorrow... So this is tomorrow evening, Friday, 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. I'm hosting a Zoom meetup. Uh, I'm going to be putting it on my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com. Look for upcoming events. And I'm going to be talking about this again, about, you know, what's happening. What are some tools that we can share uh, in terms of keeping our, our bodies regulated and keeping our health optimal? Um, I'll also be going into the nitty gritty of... What can we do more specifically to keep our immune systems firing robustly? Um, I didn't want to go into that because I felt like, I mean, I'm going over so much information already. Uh, but if you're, if you're curious about um, nutrition, like what can I be eating? What supplements can I be taking to beef up my immune system? Um, can I, what are some exercise, you know, what kind of exercise is good right now? And what might not be so good for my immune system? Um, what are, what should I prioritize to keep myself as well as possible? Um, social distancing, like I'm going to go into a bit more detail about how to take care of ourselves in the midst of this situation. It's a free meetup. So please, I'm not, (laughs) there's no paywall. Um, but it is, it might be more challenging just to locate me. I'm doing it through meetup.com. I'm also putting the zoom, uh, invitation on my website directly. I'm basically just going to be blasting it out to any space that I can. So all people are welcome to just jump on and join in. Uh, We'll be talking and it'll be an opportunity for many people to meet up through Zoom and kind of connect with other highly sensitive people who might be feeling on edge about this and maybe get some comfort around, you know, what what can I do? Am I doing all that I can? Um, Should I be panicking about this? And of course the answer is no. So anyway, that I I really wanted to stress, I'm going to be putting out more con- more opportunities to connect and uh, the first one is please take a look out look at my website www.thehealthysensitive.com go to upcoming events you'll see the meetup if you happen to be within my area so within near Oregon or near Oregon if you're in Oregon and in the sort of Salem area um, you'll you might notice it could pop up on your local meetup groups as well so just FYI okay so I think that's all I want to cover for today that's all I've got the capacity for today, um, but do stay tuned. I'm pretty much every day. I'm really going to try and do at least one thing to kind of be putting out resources, whether it's online programming or meetup groups or Zoom groups or whatever. And if you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out. It's uh, you can reach me 
at Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. Again, that's Leah, L-E-A-H, at thehealthysensitive.com. That's my email. I'm also going to be putting out, um, I'm promoting health and wellness coaching. If anyone just wants a complimentary coaching session where you can, I mean, I'm not a licensed family, marriage and family therapist, but I am a certified coach. So I can speak to, you know, I can hold the space for people who are feeling overwhelmed. I can help you sort of navigate the space. I can, uh, you know, ask the right questions so that you can put a plan together for yourself, for your family. You know, I can talk you off the ledge. (laughs) Um, So if anyone just wants that as a resource, I'm opening myself up to that. Uh, please reach out. Just send me an email. Love, you know, if, hey, I'd love to schedule a session with you. And it's a complimentary session. I'm just putting myself out there as a, a potential for someone who can connect and um, provide that as a resource if that's helpful. And then, of course, if you want to do ongoing coaching, that's totally your choice. I'm always open to that. But I uh, just wanted to promote that as well in case that might be of help. And that is it. Uh, Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Stay well, stay healthy, (laughs) um, stay rested to the extent that you can. And uh, yeah, just breathe. Stay, we'll just take it one day at a time. Um, And I'll be connecting with you more regularly again. I was going to dial it back down to once a month, but because of what's going on now, maybe I'll go back to the weekly podcasts. Take good care. uh, And yeah, I'll be checking in soon. Bye.